Um, my name is Mark. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, recovering and struggle from struggles with alcohol and drug abuse. Um, let me pray. Lord, I ask for your guidance to get through this testimony by saying something for your glory. May you help me say something that will touch at least one person in this room, which will help them come to you for guidance to overcome their problem and then continue the cycle by them helping one more person. I ask this in Jesus' name. Okay, I guess I'm going to tell you what it was like. My earliest remembrance of alcohol was at my oldest brother's birthday party. I don't remember what year it was, but I do remember it was my first taste of alcohol. It was just a few years later when I started relying on alcohol. I graduated from high school and had a job at my oldest brother's auto repair shop. I was free to do what I wanted, and my buddies and I would go out almost every night for beer and pizza. Proverbs 14:16. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. I was definitely the fool. I came from a large family, raised in a mid-sized town in Michigan, where at the time there wasn't much opportunity for a career or advancements because the auto industry had collapsed. My friends, my friends liked going to various entertaining events like the local semi-pro hockey games and drinking, bowling and drinking, and going to movies and drinking. See the pattern? <laughs> or it was just bar hopping and drinking. Everything we do involved drinking. This went on for a couple years until I decided it was um, taking me down and I wanted a better life. I was raised in a Catholic church, but the day I graduated from high school, my involvement with the church ended. I did not believe there was a gracious God. In Isaiah 40, 18, it asks, to whom do we compare our God? I compare mine to a major power who hated everyone, especially me. One day, a recruiter from a from a trade school I called and asked me if I still wanted to attend his school. Apparently a form I filled out in high school had finally gotten to him. I asked where the furthest school from Michigan was and he told me it was Phoenix, Arizona. That sounded great so I told him to sign me up. I had no means of financial support and didn't know how I was going to pay for the school but I went anyway. Little did I know I had a drinking problem and I was taking the problem with me. I wasn't there more than two weeks before I found the in crowd, the crowd of students who didn't care about school, but were good at finding the parties. They were into smoking marijuana, and more than drinking, but I didn't care. I went from drinking to smoking in one small step. Before graduating, I was into taking heavier drugs and selling the drugs to help pay for the bills. I told Scott I was going to drop these, but I better not. <clears throat> See, this is what happens. <laughs> I completely lost my place. Um, a big, a big high-tech company moved me there, and they didn't care much about drinking or shabby appearance. 
Oh, see? I had new me. Oh, I see. Selling the drugs to help me pay my bills. I like my living conditions. My roommate was from Brooklyn Borough of New York City, and uh, we had a good working relationship. He supplied the drugs, paid the bills, and I did all his homework and got him an AA degree. Hey, it sounded like a good deal to me. Turns out I was good at math and the electronics field is high in analytical thinking. What I didn't like was the Phoenix police sitting outside our door and following us around. I later found they knew we were selling drugs, but they wanted our suppliers. We were small fish, so I graduated with an associate's degree in electronics engineer and I knew I had, it had to be time to go. So I graduated and left Phoenix, Arizona and came to San Jose, California. A big high-tech company moved me there and they didn't care much about my drinking or shabby appearance. As long as I clocked in on time and did the job, they didn't care about what I did on my own time. This left me with a large opportunity for drinking and my first real paycheck was more than I had ever seen before. Um, it didn't take long for me to connect with the party crowd from work. A group of us would go out after work and I would always be the first one to get there and the last one to leave. The high-tech business was growing at a tremendous rate, so they wanted a third shift at the place I worked. With me and my roommates decided this would be perfect for us we worked from 10 p.m. to 8 a.m., then played cards, drank, did drugs every day until noon. We had lots of cash because many of us lived together. That was about when uh, cocaine hit the big time in California, and we thought it was a perfect addition to alcohol. I was spending about $1,000 a week on cocaine and alcohol, and after a couple of years, even my new friends thought it was a I was in too deep. I had the ability to do my job well and continued to move from one position to another, from one company to another, moving up the ladder. I found my first wife at one of these jobs, but she was clean and didn't like drinking, so I stopped everything for a period of time. Eventually, the devil found his way through and I started back up. She became pregnant, but did not want me to be the baby's father because of my addictions. One day she came home and asked for divorce. I would not leave her pregnant and living alone, so we decided to split, but live in one house. Now, she worked days and I was on a swing shift working in tech support. This gave me plenty of drinking time as she went off with her friends dancing every Friday and Saturday night. I left the day our baby girl was born. I brought a condo and soon after I met another girl. She was also clean, so once again I stopped for a period of time. We lived together for a couple years before I started back up. We bought a bigger place and were planning to marry the following April. One day I came home and the place was completely devoid of anything reminding me of her. She took everything in one eight hour period, all her clothes, furniture, kitchen stuff, anything we had with our two names tied to it. 
She took the bedspreads, the pictures, the walls, literally everything that tied us together. All I had, wow, all I had was what I had there before we met two years earlier. She would not answer her phone and her parents told me to stop trying. At this time, also, I had a part-time profession doing woodworking and cabinet repair. I had a nice shop in the garage. I remember um, this particular period was a Friday night because I went straight to the liquor store and bought a 24-pack of beer and a fifth of whiskey. I didn't drink much that night because it was already late, but the following Saturday, I finished the beer and whiskey from morning to night in my shop. The strange thing is I did not get drunk. I'll say that again, I did not get drunk. Um, I could have passed any sobriety test. I know this because I was a woodworker and I knew when it was time to stop working before I got drunk and hurt myself with the sharp tools. So I knew I was not drunk and I believe, believe this was my divine intervention. I was lost in my mind. I sat there thinking all day, and I knew I could not go through this again. All the relationship failures were just the tip of the rejections of my life. Um, my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, my friends, my bosses, my teachers, my classmates had all put me down at one time or another in my life. The only people who accepted me for who I was was those I partied with. And I could not do that again. I simply could not do that again. I was done. I was done with alcohol. I was done with drugs. I was done with relationships. And I was done with life. So I sat there thinking, where in Malpitas could I buy a gun? I didn't know because I never owned a gun. <laughs> Maybe with good reason. I went into the house and grabbed the yellow pages and was looking to see where I could get a gun. I flipped the book open, and when I looked down, it was on a page that started with capital letters, with the first letter, of course, being A. So the first one there was AA gun. <laughs> so I dialed the number. What happened next is true, and I don't have to tell you that it was not me who dialed that number. The wonderful lady who answered sounded like she had a big smile on her face, and she was happy as a pig in the fields. I, on the other hand, could not speak. After a few seconds, she said the normal, hello, is anyone there? And then she said something that made me cry when I wrote this. She said, and I remember it like it was yesterday. That's how come I can quote this. Hello, please talk to me. After a few seconds of dead time, she said, <laughs> I got to follow it. I know you're hurting, but you can talk to me. I thought, how the heck did she know that? 
It was just enough to whisper, for me to whisper, I want to buy a gun. She heard me and answered, please just tell me your name. And from there, she wanted to know where I was and could she have her husband drop by and talk. And this did not make sense to me. Um, I thought she was going to try to sell me a gun. <laughs> it did not make sense to me, so I refused. Why would her husband want to talk to me? Was he a cop? <laughs> now this is the part where I say I did not dial that number. Because it turns out I did not dial the AA gun shop, but I dialed the AA hotline. <laughs> and believe me, I did not come into this program with open arms. I was a very angry person. At the end of the conversation, she had me agree that it was God who dialed the phone and he wanted me alive and in treatment. I agreed to not drink on Sunday and to go to the treatment center on Monday. And I did both these things. <laughs> I'm not nervous, I just usually shake like this. <laughs> um, let's see, I needed to leave work early on Monday to make an appointment with, with the treatment center, so I talked to my boss about leaving early, and when he found out why, why I don't, he was happy, because I later found out that my boss was ordered to let me go the following Friday. As I said, I had <laughs> many failures in my jobs throughout the years. I, however, worked there for another two years, and we became good friends. This was the start of my professional career change. I don't have time to tell you all the weird things God has done to me in my professional life, like giving me jobs I did not apply for, <laughs> which is true. The treatment center wanted me in the 30-day program, which I refused because it would cut my drinking, of course. <laughs> I agreed to the outpatient treatment and wrote them a check for $1,000. This was before insurance covered any of these things. So I brought my $1,000, I bought my $1,000 big book. It sounded like a treatment would be okay, meetings with the group Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. The problem was, when I got to the group on that Monday, they handed me a piece of paper and told me about Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. <laughs> That's when I had to go to AA and have the paper signed. I was not happy about that at all, but money was a huge trigger for me and I had already given them a $1,000 check. <laughs> then they added one more thing. Of course, right? I needed to see a counselor once a week. Turns out the treatment center was going through changes and they forgot my schedule about the counselor. It wasn't, I, I wasn't about to tell them, 
but they eventually found their problem and scheduled my meeting. I met with a student therapist. She was an intern from UC Berkeley, and she drove right to the hot spots of my childhood rejections. As a child, I had epileptic seizures, but no one seemed to care enough to do anything about them. After an episode, my friends would disappear. My family thought it was funny. Turns out since getting sober, I had been diagnosed by doctors from Stanford of having an epileptic condition in my brain, which controls my speech. And the drugs I have to take control my <laughs> shaking. <laughs> this would cause me to say words which I thought made perfect sense to me, but to you it sounded like gibberish. The intern told me I wasn't the intern told me it wasn't my drinking that drove my friends away, but my fear of rejection that caused me to not want to be close to anyone. If they started getting close, I would use alcohol to drive them away. I felt screwed at that point because before I didn't need to talk about any of this to anyone. She took four weeks of therapy and jammed it into two hours. The problem was it took me doing step four before I realized that she was absolutely right. After the treatment program, I had a thousand other big book, one year of outpatient treatment once a week, therapy, and a firm insertion into the AA program. I was also supposed to be, have a sponsor before they released me from the treatment center, so I went to Saturday Night Live in Cupertino, or, or Campbell, California, and filled out one of those need a sponsor papers. A man called me and said he would do the steps with me. After that, I, the treatment center released me, and I never called the guy again. <clears throat> so, what turned out was interesting. My life turned right back to where it was before all this started. I remember I had enough on a Saturday morning. I learned enough to know I could not end my life. That would put a hurt on too many people. I got down on my knees and asked God why. After a year of work, he put me back where I was. I had accused him of not doing his part. I had promised I would do the treatment center wanted, and I did. So why did he forget me? I do not know. I did not know I was actually being <laughs> like David in Psalms 17.6, where it says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Well, God did indeed answer me. The answer came back just like we are talking now. God said, you are not going to meetings, you are not reading the book, you do not have a sponsor, and you are not going through the steps, and you are not helping anyone else. I remember this was 10.45 in the morning on Saturday because the AA meeting started at 11. I jumped in my Camaro and took off for the meeting. When I got there, I thought I was late because the parking lot was already full. Turns out they were having their monthly business meeting. When I walked in the room, and as I was walking back to the coffee area, I heard, we need someone to buy supplies for us. I raised my hand and said I would do it. I must have surprised some people because they gave me the who are you look. 
that small effort forced me to get to know people and to get involved in the program. I had no idea what I was doing. And that was the beginning of my true sobriety. So, lessons I have learned through the years. Going to meetings is not the same as getting involved in the program. So get involved. Read the big book and the Bible like they can save your life because they can. When we say work the program, we mean work the program. Put effort into it. God has a plan and you can't change the results. Just how happy do you want to be while working his plan? You must be willing to help someone or God will not help you. That was a hard one for me to learn. No matter where you are in life, it can get better or worse. Please stay in contact with God. You have no excuse for not asking God for help. He is offering. 33 years of sobriety is no different than three days. We all must work the program every day. If you have done the steps, find someone to sponsor. The steps are never finished because you are doing them over and over with your sponsees. Newcomers need old-timer stories, but the reality is old-timers need newcomer stories. So, okay, now I got why are the steps so important? When I came into the program, I was so far off the correct path. An example, my IROC-Z was designed to build, was designed and built by the Corvette team. It could easily do a culvert leaf on the freeways at 75 miles an hour. It could easily waste $1,000 worth of tires in one parking lot episode and light the place up with rubber. I did these things more than once in my drunk and anger stupor. I did not believe my life was out of control when I had a $75,000 year, 70,000K job, a nice place, new Camaro, new Ford F-150 pickup. It didn't matter if my fiance just left and I was torn up inside. I was definitely tied to worldly things and James 4.4 4 says, friendship with worldly things is hatred towards God. So what is it like now? After doing the steps over and over, I now have a wonderful 30-year marriage where... <laughs> Thank you. Um, she's here to, to hear that. Wonderful, honey. <laughs> Can you tell I haven't read this in a while? I now have a wonderful 30-year marriage where we wonder why friends are arguing with each other and getting divorced. Three-year-old children, I now drive a 23-year-old pickup truck, which is just fine with me. I retired from BVG, and now I'm a student at MJC for addiction counseling. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought, right? My wife and I both are lay counselors at BVG. Um, 
we still have problems, but I know the Lord has my hand. I have gone through heart problems with my wife, went through cancer. Both sons have been in life-threatening accidents, and many other things have happened over the years. Some of the experience I've had, most people would call coincidences, but I know God is watching and protecting me. My wife and I came to Christ here at BVG one year around Easter time. All the years in AA, I had a, higher power, I had a higher power, but did not realize he was Jesus Christ until I started reading the Bible every morning. In Peter 1, it says that Christ suffered and died in his pain, and you should show the same attitude because whoever suffered in his body is done with sin. I suffered a great deal in my body. I ask God to help me be done with sin in life and live life as he had it planned for me. I thought his plan was for me to be a project manager, but that didn't work out. Then I thought it was home improvement, but that didn't work out. And I'm sure he wanted me to read this in order, but that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up my high-paying career to come here to work for BBG. This is where God wanted me. My new boss told me I needed to support CR and come to the meetings. I have been here ever since. I have 33 years total sobriety and 10 years here at CR. Thank you. Now this is what I learned very early in recovery and it's stayed with me ever since. God first because without God I would have nothing. Sobriety next because without sobriety I would not need God. Family third because without family I would not need sobriety. Sponsees next because without them I would not be in this program. So keep coming back and get to work. Thank you. <laughs> Great job. Mark, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. That was awesome. Um, I appreciated it and uh, learned a lot. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm Scott, grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in recovery from sex addiction and compulsive overeating. Hey, glad you guys are here. One of the things as Mark was talking beforehand is he had a certain passion and desire to um, make sure people had a chance to hear a story. And maybe tonight, uh, this passage would re you might relate to, Colossians chapter two, verse 13. And now, and you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt and stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. And I don't know what guilt, shame that you're holding on to tonight, but uh, when we do what Mark shared that he did here at... Easter, 
and he gave his life over to Christ, that Christ took that sin and he nailed it to the cross. And he's forgiven you of that sin. And so um, if that's something that, that you wanna do, you've never done, make sure you talk to your open share facilitator or the, new, or the first time guest group leaders and uh, all that kind of good stuff. But we've got our focus question. Welcome from Texas. <laughs> I saw one of our longtime uh, tenders here. That's really, really cool. So um, uh, focus question is this. Who have you invited to help you on your journey and share how you have helped someone else on their journey and uh, it's really cool. Tonight, I've got a guy that's been walking the journey with me for 18 years. And uh, just because of his schedule, he hasn't been able to make it in this room in a long time. And my buddy for 18 years is here tonight. And that's just really, that's cool for me tonight. So uh, maybe you got a story like that. <laughs> Share that in group. And uh, I encourage you to do that. But let's stand together and close with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen, amen. Don't forget to tell Mark how much his story uh, impacted your life. Other than that, first time guest right across the hallway, second time guest right up front. We'll see you guys in the foyer afterwards for dessert. Love you guys.